This is episode 84 of the Magic Detective Podcast. On this episode, you'll hear about Houdini and the Spiritualists. That and more on this episode of the Magic Detective Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magic Detective Podcast, your podcast home for magic history. I'm your host, Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective, and this is episode 84. There's something interesting that happens when you become a devoted historian in the world of magic, uh, even more so when you become a dedicated Houdini historian. And that thing is you realize that a lot of stories turn out to be myths or falsehoods. Uh, in the case of Houdini, there are a lot of stories from his life that have been, well, they've been proven to not be true. The first that comes to mind is his birthplace. Now, Houdini always claimed Appleton, Wisconsin as his birthplace and his birth date as April 6th, 1874. But it's been proven that, indeed, he was born in Budapest, Hungary on March 24th, 1874. So that's been corrected. Uh, then there's the belief that he died in the water torture cell, and I think we have the 1953 Tony Curtis Houdini movie to thank for that. Of course, we all know that he didn't die in the water torture cells. But there's there's a falsehood that's uh, out there that hasn't gotten a lot of traction. It's rarely debunked. This untruth is that Houdini suddenly starts going after fake spiritualists after the death of his mother. And I'll Credit John Cox for addressing this on his fantastic blog. He goes into great detail on why he thinks it's not true. It's always bugged me, even before reading it on John's site. And by the way, Houdini didn't check himself into a mental hospital after his mother died either. That, um, that story is untrue. He did go into deep depression. I believe, honestly, I believe he was never the same after his mother died. He wrote many tributes to his mother. He shared his grief with his brother Dash and written letters. He never recovered from his mother's death. And this isn't uncommon with people who lose their parents. It often reshapes their entire being, and it certainly altered Houdini's. But did he suddenly become a, uh, um, a guy who wanted to go to seances all the time immediately following his mother's death? No. However, today I will explore Houdini's fascination with the spiritualists. Some say Houdini, suddenly after his mother's death, becomes interested in seances and spiritualism. Cecilia Weiss, Houdini's mother, died on July 17, 1913. My dad's birthday, by the way. Now, who said this, that Houdini suddenly becomes interested in seances and spiritualism after his mother died? Um, Bernard Mayer, in the book Houdini, A Mind in Chains, says... Following the death of his mother, Houdini became increasingly involved in spiritualism. He sought consultations with countless mediums, ostensibly to receive from her the celebrated blocked message she was supposed to have tried to send him before he died. During the six months of a tour in England and Scotland in 1920, he is said to have attended more than a hundred seances, sometimes as many as two per day. Houdini had a lifelong interest in seances and spiritualism, and I do agree his interest increased probably around 1919, but this was not immediately following his mother's death. 
And it wasn't until the 1920s that he starts his crusade against the spiritualists. So to say that um, he became increasingly involved in spiritualism following his mother's death is not exactly true, because that would have been, you know, July 18th, 1913, when he got involved. No, it was it was a number of years later. Uh, the first person I know of to kind of put a halt to this nonsense was Ken Silverman. In fact, on uh, the Houdini documentary by Unipix, Ken even says, quote, Houdini was doing sort of a spiritualist act in the 1890s. In fact, his whole act comes out of spiritualism, the rope ties, escaping and such. His mother dies in 1913, and he doesn't really begin to go after mediums until the 1920s, unquote. Silverman did not believe that one had anything to do with the other. Where did the story come from? Well, I blame the movies mostly, starting with the Tony Curtis Houdini movie. It shows Houdini trying to reach Mama from beyond by attending seances. And then in due course, after exposing their trickery at the seance, in the Paul Michael Glazer movie, The Great Houdinis, uh, we have Houdini admitted to a mental hospital after the death of Mama and then going to the spiritualists. So I have a feeling that had a lot to play into it. Houdini was clearly fascinated by spiritualism, ghosts, and the like. He has an early history with it going back to the early days of his career. In 1896, Houdini and Bess were touring with Professor Dooley in Halifax. According to the book Metamorphosis by Bruce McNabb, Dooley was to present a program exposing the methods of spiritualists. Given the fact that Harry and Bess were part of the show, I have no doubt that they were involved in the exposure part of the program. Even earlier, as a teenager, Houdini and his childhood friend, Joseph Wren, would attend seances and learn the secrets. Houdini himself is closely related to spiritualism. Ken Silverman said it a moment ago. His whole act comes out of spiritualism, the rope ties, blah, 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 blah. The origins of the subtrunk go back to masculine, who used the trunk in a pseudo-seance routine. So, in a manner, Houdini and spiritualism are tied together, no pun intended. But it makes sense that he would have a deep interest in it. Also, some of the forefathers of escapes, like Samry Baldwin and Harry Cook, both did spirit exposure shows. Harry Cook toured with a show called Spiritualism Without the Aid of Spirits, and the sixth test in that show was the handcuff test. This dates back to the 1880s. In fact, in an article that Houdini wrote in 1924, he says this, For 35 years, during my whole career as a professional magician, I have been studying and investigating so-called psychic phenomenon, spiritualism, occultism, clairvoyance, mysticism, telepathy, and similar manifestations of apparently supernatural origin. My investigation has been literally continuous. I have never dropped it for so long as a day. The practice of my profession has taken me to virtually every country on earth, and my travels have enabled me to observe and study the psychics of many lands. And my interest in the subject is more keen, if anything, today than it was when it first engaged my attention. This probably is because my interest in psychic phenomenon is rather personal rather than professional. Now, I'll take issue here with something Houdini said. He said, my investigation has been literally continuous. 
Actually, I think it slowed down a bit following his mother's death as he was too caught up in his own personal grief. And then there's this from his book, A Magician Among the Spirits, also from 1924. From my early career as a mystical entertainer, I have been interested in spiritualism as belonging to the category of mysticism and as a sideline to my own phase of mystery shows. I have associated myself with mediums, joining the rank and file, and held seances as an independent medium to to fathom the truth of it all. At the time, I appreciated the fact that I surprised my clients, but while I was aware of that fact, I wasn't aware that I was deceiving them. I just didn't see it. Uh, I didn't understand the seriousness of trifling with such a sacred sentimentality and the baneful result which inevitably followed. To me, it was a lark. I was a mystifier, and as such, my ambition was being gratified and my love for a mild sensation satisfied. After delving uh, deep, I realized the seriousness of it all. As I advanced to riper years of experience, I was brought to a realization of the seriousness of trifling with the hallowed reverence which the average human being bestows on the departed. And when I personally became afflicted with similar grief, I was chagrined that I should ever have been guilty of such frivolity. And for the first time, I realized that it was, well, it bordered on crime. There it is. Houdini even presented seances early in his career as a form of mystery entertainment. Ruth Brandon, in her book, The Spiritualists, says... Early in his career, when he was still struggling unsuccessfully to establish himself, he took an engagement in Kansas with the California Concert Company, and part of his act was to give a spiritualist seance as a Sunday night attraction. But it dawned on Houdini how the seance was being received, and he backed away and never did it again. He felt guilty for ever being involved. I would say that the interest in spiritualism for Houdini was kind of in two phases. The first is a genuine investigation. The second is an all-out debunking and exposure. One sort of of follows the other. And I mean, initially, when you're learning about a subject, you soak in as much information as you can. But uh, as a person involved in the art of deception, it's easier to discover the fakery because... Well, you're involved in that kind of thing every day. Now, having said that, Houdini makes a rather interesting claim. And here it is in his own words. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, a sincere and confirmed believer in spirit phenomenon, whose acquaintance I esteem, advises me that I do not secure convincing results because I am a skeptic. And therefore, I want to make it clear that I am not a scoffer. I firmly believe in a supreme being and that there is a hereafter. Therefore, since their departure from this earth, it has been my practice as a final duty to visit the sacred resting places of my dearly beloved parents and ask their protection and silent blessings through the omnipotent Almighty. The very first place I visit when I return from a trip is the same, this same hallowed spot, both promised me faithfully, innumerably in this life, that if they could aid and protect me from beyond the grave or in the great beyond, they would do so. My mind has always been open and receptive and ready to believe. 
and attending seances, I have always made a pledge of honor with myself to banish all profane thoughts from my mind to the utmost of my ability. I further pledge myself to concentrate. I have persuaded my whole soul, brain, and thought to a point where the medium has my attention to such an extent that at the finish I feel as much exhausted as the medium who shows those present the effects of great strain irrespective of its cause. Thus it must be seen that I am not a skeptic. In other words, Houdini goes into these seances with an open mind. Even more so, he hopes for success. Nothing would make him happier. But there is one more important part of his thought on this, and it continues. However, it has been my life work to invent and publicly present problems, the secrets of which not even the members of the magical profession have been able to discover, and the effects of which have proved as inexplicable to the scientists as any marvel of the mediums. And I claim that insofar as the revelation of trickery is concerned, my years of investigation have been more productive than the same period of similar work by any scientist, that my record as a mystifier of mystifiers qualifies me to look below the surface of any mystery problem presented to me, and that with my eyes trained by 30 years' experience in the realms of mystery and occultism, it is not strange that I view these so-called phenomenon from a different angle than the ordinary layman or even expert investigator. It would seem in some sort of last-ditch effort to find proof of real spirits in 1919, Houdini, while in Europe, visits a hundred different seances. This is where his interest increases in reality. He meets with prominent mediums and authorities in the field, but he comes away still frustrated at not seeing any proof, despite the attempts given by mediums. Houdini always smells them out. Then there is his final seance, or I should say, the final seance that he goes into with an open heart, and that's the one in 1922 with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Lady Doyle. This is the famous seance that took place in Atlantic City. Lady Doyle, as the medium, goes into a trance and through a technique known as automatic writing, begins to deliver a message to Houdini from his mother in the great beyond. Now, let me state for the record, I purchased Conan Doyle's book, The History of Spiritualism. It originally was in two volumes. It's now produced in a single volume form. Houdini is mentioned several times in the book. He is also, um, or I'm sorry, he is always referred to as Conjurer Houdini. Never any mention of their friendship, though at this point in time their friendship was officially over. But even more surprising is not a single mention of the very successful seance produced by Lady Doyle for Houdini. I found that a bit peculiar. June 18, 1922. The Doyles and the Houdinis were both vacationing together in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Doyle surprisingly invites Houdini to a private seance with Lady Doyle, who will conduct an automatic writing seance in the hopes of contacting and communicating with Cecilia Weiss, Houdini's mother. Only three are in attendance, Doyle, his wife, and Houdini. Bess is not invited, and Doyle apologizes to her for being excluded. 
From the book, Final Seance, Houdini writes, Lady Doyle was very charming. The curtains were drawn, writing pads placed on the table, and also two pencils of the ordinary kind. Sir Arthur, with his head bowed down, just like a simple child, uttered a prayer, calling upon the Almighty to let us have a sign from our friends from beyond. He places his hands caressingly upon Lady Doyle's to give her more power. I closed my eyes and eliminated from my mind all thoughts but those of a religious order so that I could help as much as possible. She took her pencil, and with spasmodic jerks of her right hand, in no gentle way, started to strike the table, explaining that the force had taken hold of her in the most energetic manner that had ever been done at any seance at which she was doing the automatic writing. For a few moments, she seemed to be struggling with it, but then the pencil began to move. She asked the spirit, Do you believe in God? Suddenly, her hand beat on the table three times, and she said, Then I will make the sign of a cross. She marked the sign of the cross on the edge of the pad on which she was writing. I think that, in her heart of hearts, Lady Doyle was sincere, and I am positive Sir Arthur is just as religious in his beliefs as it is possible for any human being to be. As from time to time, Lady Doyle started to write. He would soothe her, as if admonishing the spirit not to be too forcible with her. These two spoke as if there was someone in reality standing alongside of us. A few minutes later, the message continues. Oh, my darling, thank God at last I'm through. I've tried so often. Now I am happy. Why, of course, I want to talk to my boy, my own beloved boy. Friends, thank you with all my heart for this. You have answered the cry of my heart and of his. God bless him a thousandfold for all his life for me. Never had a mother such a son. Tell him not to grieve. Soon he'll get all the evidence he is so anxious for. Yes, we know. Tell him I want him to try and write in his own home. It will be far better. I will work with him. He is so dear, so dear to me. I am preparing so sweet a home for him, which one day in God's good time he will come to. It is one of my great joys preparing it for our future. I am so happy in this life. It is so full of joy, and my only shadow has been my beloved one who hasn't known how often I have been with him all the while. All the while, here away from my heart's darling, combining my work thus in this life of mine. It is so different over here, so much larger and bigger and more beautiful, so lofty, all sweetness around one, nothing that hurts, and we see our beloved ones on earth. That is such a joy and comfort to us. Tell him I love him more than ever. The years only increase it, and his goodness fills my soul with gladness and thankfulness. Oh, just, ah, this is me. I want him only to know that, that I have bridged the gulf. That is what I wanted oh so much. Now I can rest in peace 
How soon? It's at this point that Sir Arthur interrupts and suggests that Houdini ask a question, a test of sorts. So Houdini goes with something that earlier Sir Arthur had suggested. Can my mother read my mind? Then Houdini just merely thought of that question, didn't speak it out loud, just thought of it. Then the writing continued. I always read my beloved son's mind, his dear mind. There is so much I want to say to him, but I almost, I am almost overwhelmed by this joy of talking to him once more. It is almost too much to get through the joy of it. Thank you, thank you, thank you, friend, with all my heart for what you have done for me this day. God bless you too, Sir Arthur, for what you are doing for us, for us over here who so need to get in touch with our beloved ones on the earth plane. If only the world knew this great truth, how different, how different life would be for men and women. Go on, let nothing stop you. Great will be your reward hereafter. Goodbye. I I brought you, Sir Arthur, after my darling son together. I felt, I I felt you were the one man. You were the one man who might help us pierce the veil. And I was right. Bless him, bless him, bless him. I say from the depths of my soul, he fills my heart. And later we shall be together. Oh, so happy. A happiness awaits him that he has never dreamed of. Tell him. Tell him that I am with him. Just tell him that I'll soon make him know how close I am all the while. His eyes will soon be opened. Goodbye again. God's blessing be on you all. That was 15 pages of automatic writing by the medium Lady Doyle. According to Sir Arthur, Houdini was deeply moved. Days later, again, according to Doyle, Houdini told him he was walking on air ever since. Now, let me state for the moment, this is the first time I really paid attention to this entire seance in total. Houdini complains that his mother would never have drawn a cross. She was Jewish. And he complains because she didn't speak English, only Yiddish and German. Those are good points. I can actually pass those two points. Could have been Lady Doyle who uh, chose to draw the cross. Well, it could have been her that decided to draw the cross. Had nothing to do with with Cecilia. And I can't help but think that in heaven, everyone is understood as communication will take on a different meaning. What I have a problem with, and I'm sure Houdini recognized this as well, she never addresses her son directly. She mentions Sir Arthur by name, but never, never Houdini or Harry or Eric or whatever. He's always in the third person. There's not one thing in the message that is personalized. It's all generalized information and very, very general information. Sir Arthur receives praise from Houdini's mother. Houdini gets generalities. And yet she apparently is so overwhelmed with emotion to have this chance to connect with her boy, and then she doesn't speak directly to him. Uh, Sorry, 
I'm not buying it. And neither did Houdini. And again, I don't think Houdini felt they were lying. There are a lot of psychological reasons for this message, but he knew the message couldn't be from his mother. And in the end, if the Doyles, who were 100% sincere in their beliefs, couldn't break through, then no one could. It didn't mean at that moment Houdini became an atheist. Seems a lot of folks want to put that title upon him. He was a believer in God. He just realized it was impossible to break through from one dimension to another. And it's after this that I believe Houdini, uh, his investigations get more serious and even more aggressive. Here's a strange after effect from the seance. Sir Arthur had convinced himself that Houdini had seen the light. In a letter to Houdini, he writes, I can see you sometime as your true experiences accumulate, giving a wonderful lecture called Phenomenal Spiritualism, True and False, in which, after giving an account of your adventures with fakes, you will also give an account of those which bear inspection. It would be a very great draw. Fake photos and then true ones. I couldn't fit you up with a few of the latter, but you have other things going on at present. And then the letter continues. And I can just imagine the look on Houdini's face reading this letter. His head must have been spinning. And to think that Sir Arthur could provide real examples of spirit photos is beyond laughable. Now, we've set the spiritualist table, so to speak. So let's examine some of the mediums who Houdini met and investigated. And I'm only going to give, actually, I think I'm only going to give maybe one, but um, I'm not going over Marjorie as she deserves her own episode. And I've already covered in the past Anna Eva Fay in episode 22 and episode 74 and the Davenports recently in episode 83. So today let's meet someone new Eva C. I'm going to let Sir Arthur give the introduction from his book, The History of Spiritualism. Uh, For two pages, he's been describing mediums who have a strange ability. And when he finally gets to Eva, he says this, The last description of a seance in Algiers in 1905 was with Eva C., then known as Martha Barad, This account comes from the book, The Annals of Physical Science, Volume 2, page 305. Martha was alone in the cabinet on this occasion. After waiting for 20 minutes, Martha herself opened the the curtain to its full extent and then sat down in her chair. Almost immediately, with Martha in full view of the sitters, her hands, head, and body distinctly visible, we saw a white, diaphanous-looking thing gradually build itself up close to Martha. It looked first like a like a large cloudy patch near Martha's right elbow and appeared to be attached to her bar- body. It was very mobile and grew rapidly both upward and downward, finally assuming somewhat uh, a somewhat amorphous appearance of a cloudy pillar extending from about 2 feet above the head of Martha to her feet. I could distinguish neither hands nor head. What I saw looked like fleecy clouds of varying brilliancy, which were gradually condensing, concentrating themselves around some, uh, to me, invisible body. 
what I just described was a medium, in this case, Martha Barad, who later would be known as Eva C. or Eva Carrera. She was a trans medium who could cause ectoplasm to come out of multiple places on her body. In fact, the term ectoplasm was coined by an investigator who was investigating Eva. Now, I'm curious why she changed her name. Well, apparently, uh, while being investigated in 1903, she was exposed as a fraud. That is from the book The Spiritualists by Ruth Brandon. In Sir Arthur's book, The History of Spiritualism, he also gives an account and says she was falsely accused. But whatever the case, it was enough for her to no longer go by the name Martha Barad. Now she would simply be Eva Carrera or Eva C., She did have a traveling companion, manager of sorts, a Madame Besson. Houdini wanted to meet and attend an Eva C. seance, but her guardian, manager, was extremely leery of magicians. Houdini invited them to a performance where he would be doing his famed water torture cell. On May 19, 1920, Houdini received the following letter. Dear Mr. Houdini, We, Mademoiselle Eva, and I shall be charmed to see you at the performance of which you have spoken to me on next Wednesday. Since you have had the great kindness to offer us several tickets, it gives me great pleasure to accept, and if you wish, you may send us four, as we expect to be joined in the applause with Mr. and Mrs. Fielding. I also wish to tell you something else. You know that we give seances here, showing the phenomenon of materialization. These are not spirit studies. They are scientific. It would interest Mr. Fielding and ourselves to have at our seances a master in the art of prestidigitation. But I have always, I have always refused to admit in my house an ordinary prestidigitator or even one of the better rank. Our work is serious and real, and the gift of Mademoiselle Eva might disappear forever if some awkward individual insists on thinking there is fraud involved, instead of real interesting facts, which especially interest the scientific. For you, this does not hold. You are above all of this. You are a magnificent actor who cannot call himself a prestidigitator, a title beneath a man of your talents. I shall therefore rather... We shall be proud to see you attend our seances and hear you tell us all, after you have been thoroughly convinced yourself, that their merit is far beneath your own, for these manifestations depend merely upon allowing the forces of nature to act, and lie simply in truth of fact, whereas with you it is your merit, your talent, and your personal valor that have enabled you to the place of king in your art. With your kind and esteemed regards... Madame Houdini and yourself. Whoa! That's quite the letter. He now, Houdini, would attend eight of their seances. The first was held on June 18, 1920, and frankly, nothing happened. But on June 22nd, that particular seance delivered, and again in Houdini's own words to Doyle, we... We had success at the seance last night, as far as productions were concerned, but I am not prepared to say that they were super normal. I assure you, I did not 
control the medium, so the suggestions were not mine. They made uh, Mademoiselle Eva drink up uh, a cup of coffee and eat some cake, I presume, to fill her up with some food stuff. And after she had been sewn into the tights and a net placed over her face, she manifested. First, some froth-like substance inside of the net. It was about five inches long. She said it was elevating, but none of, uh, none of the four watchers of us saw it elevate. Second, a white plaster-looking affair over her right eye. And third, something that looked like a small face, say four inches in circumference, was uh, terracotta-colored, and Dingwall, who held her hands, had the best look at the object. Fourth, there was some substance, a froth-like exuding from her nose, uh, Bagali and Fielding say it protruded uh, from her nose, but Dingwall and I are positive that was uh, inside of the net and was not extending from her nose. I, I had the best view from both places. I deliberately took advantage to see just what it was. It was a surprise, in fact, indeed. Uh, fifth, the medium asked permission to remove something from her mouth, and she showed her hands plainly emptying and, and took out what appeared to be a, 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 a rubberish substance, which she disengaged and showed as plainly. Uh, she held the uh, electric torch, and we all saw it plainly. When presto, it vanished. The seance started at 7.30 and lasted till uh, just past midnight. We went over our notes, Mr. Feeling did, and no doubt you'll get a full report. I found it highly interesting, as fate would have it. The next seance produced nothing, and on and on it went with varying degrees of manifestation. When it was over, Houdini was thrilled, but he was also certain that Eva C. was using tricks and not manifesting the supernatural. He likened her technique to something he used in his own act, but one thing was sure. Though the manifestations looked quite amazing, Houdini was not taken in by them and saw them as yet another deception in a long line of deception. And yet, given the fact that he kept the information to himself mostly, he did not go about exposing Eva C. as you might imagine. Interesting. I think part of that was because he wanted to keep that friendship with Sir Arthur uh, going on. Now, here's an instance where Houdini got it wrong. Listen to this. Uh, there's a famous photo, and actually, actually it's a series of three or four photos, of Houdini making wax impressions of his hands. What's this about? Well, it seems that in 1875, a man named William Denton introduced hot wax paraffin into the seance room. The idea was that spirits could dip their spirit hands into the hot wax and leave behind a physical wax impression of their spirit hands. In a live demonstration of this, he even produced the face of a spirit. It was a popular phenomenon for a few years, and then it died out. But then, as with many things in this genre, it was brought back again by a Polish medium named Kluski. Houdini's explanation for the spirit wax hands was that the medium used thin rubber gloves that, that they inflated and then pushed into the wax. And then by deflating the glove, it would leave a perfect impression. The only thing was, it was a perfect impression of an inflated glove. Houdini got it wrong. 
Another explanation he gave was that the medium used plaster castings to get the wax impressions, but that was incorrect as well. But he wasn't one to give up, so he began a number of his own experiments. These were captured on camera at his home at 278. To Houdini's surprise, the simple combination of hot water, hot wax, and cold water, plus a live hand, was all that was needed to make the mold. He found that the wax, firstly, doesn't burn the skin, but also it doesn't stick to the skin either. And thanks to the pliable nature of skin, it's fairly easy to withdraw your hand from the paraffin mold. It is a shame that none of the Houdini wax molds survive. How cool would that be to have a, a mold of Houdini's hands? But the, this wax paraffin stuff is so fragile that probably today it'd be just a pile of, of wax shavings. Okay, so now we get to the final moment here in our spiritualism exploration with Houdini. And this takes place in Los Angeles at the First Spiritualist Church. And let me give you a little bit of history here. Mrs. Mary Fairfield McVickers had a strange premonition a year earlier. She told her friends that if they took a photo of her casket at approximately 5 p.m. the day of her funeral, she would show up in spirit form. And sure enough, on March 23rd, the following year, at her funeral, the photo was taken and eerie, ghostly faces appeared on the photograph. Now, Houdini heard about this and decided it was worthy of his investigation. And to avoid all pretenses of fraud, he personally purchased the photographic plates that were going to be used in this session. And then Houdini and the photographer, they headed to the First Spiritualist Church in Los Angeles to take some photos. And Houdini rather quickly realized that from a certain distance and at certain times, there were reflections on the back wall of the church that kind of resembled faces. And in a photograph, you would see this, but your mind would kind of fill in the rest, and there would be your spirit images. But they took numerous photographs anyway. And when these photos were developed, something arose that no one expected, least of whom Houdini. On one of the photos, there was a, a bright streak of light on the image. It did not appear in any of the other photos. Houdini swore it wasn't there when the photos were taken. The plates were checked and there, was, there were no scratches on the plates. Houdini had no explanation the strange image. It was one of the few times in his life dealing with spiritualism that something he saw left him stumped, and he had no problem admitting so. Now, there are many other encounters with mediums that I could cover, but I'll save some of those for another time. I most definitely want to wait on Marjorie until I can get a copy of the Malcolm Bird book on Marjorie. Malcolm Bird claimed Houdini got it all wrong, and I'm curious to see what he had to say in regards to her seances. Now, before I go, I have to address something related to today's podcast. Um, a week or so ago, I put up on my, um, 
my blog, The Magic Detective, I put up an article about spirit photos from 100 years ago. And I tried to give uh, a little bit of the history and also show some examples. And to anyone viewing them today, uh, they are clearly fakes. Uh, But that was not good enough for one individual who chose to attack me on Facebook. And hey, he's entitled to his opinion. In fact, I want to state for the record, I did not attack spiritualism at all in the article only the fakery of the photos. I did mention that Conan Doyle could be fooled by pretty much anything, so I might have been a bit harsh in that regard, but it's also true. But never did I attack spiritualism, nor am I attempting to attack spiritualism today. I am a believer in God. I believe in the Bible. I have studied many religions, and I have respect for people of faith. If you want to believe in spiritualism, I'm not going to try and stop you. I just am pointing out that there are a lot of fakes uh, in the history of that particular religion. And there are fakes and frauds in all religions, be they Christian, Jewish, Islamic, or any religion. And there are many, at the same time, many wonderful godly people involved in these things as well. But religion is a great place for people to be taken advantage of, which is why You should use a discerning ear and eye when listening and seeing things. The Bible even speaks of false prophets coming to deceive. it, It happens, it's happened, and it will happen again. So if I offend anyone in regards to my article or this podcast, well, too bad. I won't apologize for pointing out the truth. I tried to give you some examples of Houdini's expertise and his mistakes, and as well as an example of something that went beyond his ability to explain. He was a believer in God. He believed in the Almighty. And despite not getting a message, a real message from the great beyond, it didn't shake his faith. He just came to the conclusion that messages from the spirit world were filled with fraud. And if there was a true one out there, he didn't find it. Also, for the record, My library on spiritualism and spirits and ghosts and the like is growing just as fast as my magic library, which is kind of interesting. I enjoy reading the pro-spiritualist books to understand that side of things. This episode, particular one, took took longer than expected because I was going back to Conan Doyle's book, The History of Spiritualism, to check the history of certain people. Along the way, I discovered that Houdini biographer Ruth Brandon also wrote a book called The Spiritualists, so I had to wait for that to show up. And um, perhaps one day I'll share with you some stories of uh, growing up in a haunted house. Yeah, that happened. Uh, Oh, and by the way, I do want to point out that my atheist friends out there and agnostic friends, hey, you guys are great too, okay? I don't want to exclude anybody. So until next time, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. If so, please be sure to like the podcast in any way your provider will allow. Feel free to share it with your friends. I'm Dean Carnegie. I am the Magic Detective. Thanks for listening. Please be well and stay safe.